0: we are continuing our series looking at the the character of God. How can we describe God? How on earth can you put into words the magnificent, awesome character and nature of Creator God, the Alpha and the Omega? Those who wrote the Bible considered this question of the mystery of God and they uh, consistently described him in the way that we read in our key verse for this series in Exodus 34, verse 6. So, if you remember, this is when Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he said to God, I want to see you in all your glory. And God said, Well, we can't do that because you'll die, but what I'll do is I'll let you have a glimpse. And as he passed in front of Moses, it said, He proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so as believers, as followers of Christ, we should be continually working and moving towards becoming more and more like God, like these characteristics that we are looking at. And so we've already looked at the theme of compassion. And then last week we looked at graciousness. And so this week we're looking at this theme of, of slow to anger. Slow to anger. And I love this. In the Hebrew, slow to anger, it literally translates as long of nose. All you long-nosed people in the room, you are slow to anger. That is what it means. You are slow to anger. And so in biblical times, if someone was angry, you would say their nose is burning hot. Their nose is burning hot. Hot, and so if you're a patient person, if you're nice and calm and cool and collected, then you are long of nose. It takes your nose a long time to get hot. That's weird, isn't it? It's weird. Anyone in the room get angry sometimes? Yeah, maybe this week you got a bit angry at something. Maybe this week, maybe even this morning on your way to church, you got angry about. Something I don't know what it is, but if you think of this idea when you get angry you know we've talked about some of these characteristics already and a lot of it starts in the stomach it starts in the gut doesn't it and I think anger is one of those emotions it it begins down here and you can feel it kind of begin to burn and rage within us and sometimes it it gets up quickly sometimes it's a little bit slower and as it raises up maybe it gets into your neck and the veins start popping out and then it gets into your face and you begin to get a little bit red in the face and then the steam's coming out of your ear and what happens when it gets to your nose? The nostrils begin to flare out. Anyone get that kind of angry in the place? Come on. You know, we've got to be mindful that when we feel anger raging and rising within us, we've got to stop it before it gets to our mouths. We've got to stop it before it comes out of our mouths. And so in this description, there's there's something I find really encouraging. In this verse from Exodus, something I find really encouraging. It does not say that God is free from anger. It doesn't say that. What it says is he is slow to anger. And you know, in the Bible, numerous times we see God getting angry. We see him getting angry. I mean, just look at the story of the Israelites. We're in Exodus, so that makes sense. The Israelites, God's chosen people, they were promised this amazing land that if they just followed him and stuck to his commandments, then they would enter into all of his promises, that they were the people that would see the world won for Christ. And so what did they do? They'd have these moments where they were on high and following God with all of their hearts. And then in the next breath, they're making idols and worshipping these things that they have made themselves. And I don't know about you, but I understand God's anger at these people. That he has chosen them that he has appointed them and yet time and time and time again they choose to just deny God who, have they, who they have seen moved in incredible ways many times and yet they choose to deny him so often and worship these idols. And what we see when we look at the description of God's anger throughout scripture is that it's born out of him witnessing the oppression of his people and the destruction of his world. And so his anger is this expression of his justice and his love for us and his love for the world that he created. Yes, he got angry, but he was slow to anger. God's got a long nose. And so we can just look at how he dealt with Pharaoh in the story of Exodus, So he had enslaved the Israelites in Egypt and then God sends Moses to Pharaoh to try and persuade him to let his people go. And so what does he do? Does he just give Pharaoh one chance to let the people go? No. Does he give him just two chances? No. Ten times he says, I want you to let my people go. And it's not until after the 10th time that Pharaoh straight up refuses to let his people go that then he says, do you know what? Actually, I've had enough of all of these plagues and all of this this, uh, judgment that God is pouring out on me and my people. Just get out of here. I've had enough. Go on. But then in the next breath... He changes his mind and he chases after God's people, ready to destroy them. And so then God destroys him. We read that the, that the Israelites crossed through the waters and then as Pharaoh and his army get there, the waters fall down on top of him and he destroys them. But he didn't do it in the first instance. He gave them chance after chance after chance. He is slow to anger. In Exodus 15, verse 7, it says, In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppressed you. You unleashed your burning anger. In another translation, it says, blazing fury. God was angry at Pharaoh and how he treated the Israelites. and He gave him multiple chances to to fix his attitudes, to, to right the wrong that he'd done, but he didn't do it. And so God's anger brought about justice. At the beginning of Romans, Paul talks about about people who know God and yet choose a life of sin instead of a life of faith. And he says that God hands them over to the consequences of their actions and of their choices. And so that's a message for us, that if we choose to live a life of sin when we know that there is a life of faith that is much better for us, then what that means is we will be handed over to the consequences of our actions. But here's the good news. God is gracious. And Joe spoke about that last week. God is gracious. He wants the best for you. He wants to give you chance after chance after chance to recognize when you're making mistakes. For me to recognize when I'm making mistakes And so he gives us instructions on how we should live. That we should pursue righteousness. That we should love God and that we should love those around us. But the truth is that we mess up. And that means that what we deserve is God's judgment. When we don't follow God's rules and God's plan for our life, what we deserve is his judgment. But Paul says in Romans chapter 2, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient, long-nosed, God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? He's desperate for us to turn from our sin. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. What Paul is saying here is, we need Jesus. It's really simple. We need Jesus. We sin, we mess up, we make mistakes time and time again. You know, I'm using the Israelites as a a description, an example of people who fail and mess up time and time again. But are we any different? If we're honest, are we any different? I don't understand how God keeps on forgiving us. His grace makes no sense in the world that we live in because we continually mess up time and time again. So we need Jesus who took all of God's hot anger, who took all of his wrath and all of his judgment on himself, and he took it to the cross. And he paid the price so that we don't have to. So that what we deserve, the judgment, has already been paid. And so what we get is the grace of God. And through this act of Jesus on a cross, what we see is God's anger at evil and his love for his people beautifully intertwined. Providing us with forgiveness and with life. And so all that being said, where is the encouragement in this verse that I inferred to earlier? Where is the encouragement in knowing that God gets angry? God is slow to anger. He gets angry, but anger is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. And so what we need and what we're going to talk about this morning is some anger management. We're going to look at some anger management this morning. Anger is not a sin. It's what we do with that anger that can lead to sin. It doesn't have to lead to sin, but it can lead to sin. When we feel that anger burning within us and it begins to bubble up and rage up and whatever it might be that's triggered that within us, that is not a sin in itself. It's our words and our actions that can lead to sin, but they don't have to. In Ephesians 4:26 it says quite plainly in your anger do not sin. Joyce Meyer said that anger is just one letter away from danger. Dallas Willard gave this definition of anger. He said, it's a feeling that seizes us in our body and immediately impels us toward interfering with and possibly even harming those who have thwarted our will and interfered with our life. We talk about righteous anger, but usually people feel their anger is righteous in the moment they're angry. But anything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. Anything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. We all get angry, don't we? We all get angry on a whole spectrum of things. And anger outworks in our life in weird and wonderful ways. You know, I, I, I did this thing a few years ago. I took a Facebook poll about the way in which milk should be put in the fridge. Do you know why I did that? because Ruth puts it in the fridge the wrong way. When I open the fridge door, I should be able to grab the milk nice and easy. I should not have to open the door and then bend myself. And so, now I didn't shout at her in that moment, but my anger came out through this passive-aggressive Facebook poll. Yep, Let's talk about another example. Just this weekend, we had Taya visiting us, and she was just sharing with us some of the frustration she's got with her housemate's boyfriend, who comes to this flat of two ladies and leaves the toilet seat up. Any ladies get frustrated at that? Well, let me tell you, ladies, you also leave the toilet seat up. It's just a different kind of up. There are two seats on a toilet and they should both be down. And that is my opinion. And it is very strong opinion. If you come to my house and you leave the toilet seat up. Both of the seats down, please. That's how it, you know, these are silly examples. But we get angry about the stupidest of things. And in the moment. Whatever it may be, whether it's someone cutting you up in the car, whether it's the way someone's spoken to you or treated you, maybe it is something truly terrible. And in the moment, we feel that anger and it begins to burn and rage within us. And it comes out in a whole bunch of weird and wonderful ways. But in Ephesians, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not sin. Getting angry is not a sin, it's what comes next. That can lead us into danger. And Paul goes on in this same verse. He says this. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now this is some sound advice right here. And some advice that I really struggle with. Do you know when Ruth and I are having an argument about something in the evening just before bed. And we've not yet resolved it. You know, I'm really guilty of the fact that I just need to step away and just withdraw into myself and I'm like, we'll just go to bed. And yet what happens then is when we're in bed lying next to each other, I'm just lying there. I cannot sleep. I'm going over it in my mind and in my mind trying to justify what it is that I've said or what it is that I've done and in reality more often than not realizing that I was in the wrong and yet far too stubborn to admit it. When we let the sun go down on our arguments, we, it messes with our heads. And what this verse says is that it gives the devil a foothold. It gives the devil a foothold in our lives. He gets a foot in the door. And he begins to work his way in and through because anger is now set within us. Anger is now within us. Ethan, can I, can I borrow you for a minute? Just come and stand up here. I'm going to give you a sign to hang around your neck, please. This is anger. Uh, you know, I could not have chosen a more calm and placid and man to do this. That's why I, I didn't want to pick anyone that, you know, sometimes get a bit hot because I didn't want you to feel judged in this moment. But this is, this is anger. And when anger shows up in our life, we've got some choices to make. What we could do is we could stand in front of anger and we could pretend anger doesn't exist in our lives. And I'm just going to go about my life pretending like I'm not feeling angry. But then what happens? Bitterness begins to, to build up in our lives. And then the anger that is always there, and we're just pretending it's not, begins to damage us and work some negative stuff from the inside. And then that will come out. Or another choice is, let take a step forward, is that we can, we can stand behind anger and we can begin to speak through anger and we can begin to speak out of anger. And that's when we begin to hurt people and when we, when we begin to say stuff that we don't want to say and we regret in the future. But the other choice that we've got is to stand next to our anger and to acknowledge anger and say, yeah, do you know what? Right now, I'm feeling pretty angry. let's just take a walk and we're just going to work through some stuff and I'm just going to maybe calm down and cool down a little bit and then I'm going to let my anger go. I don't feel anger anymore. See you later. You keep walking. You 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 can come and sit down now, Ethan. Thank you. We've got these options when anger appears in our life. We've got these choices that we can make. And I don't know about you, but I often choose the wrong one. Whether that's standing in front of and pretending it doesn't exist or whether I'm speaking and acting out of and through my anger. We've got to recognise that we've got these choices to make when anger shows up in our lives. Because if we bottle it up and pretend it doesn't exist or if we speak and act through our anger... We're at risk of allowing this feeling, this emotion within us to lead us into sin. To lead us into sin. Has anyone ever said anything or done anything out of anger that they then regretted? I know I have. We've got these choices that we need to make. And so the truth is that if we, if we hold on to our anger and we don't work through it and let it go then what we're doing is we're giving the enemy a foothold in our life. And that phrase foothold, it it translates as a place. So what we're doing is we're inviting the enemy into our lives and we're giving him a space. We're saying, here you go, come on in. Make yourself at home. And then he's got influence in our relationships in our families, in our friends, in our careers, in our church. When we allow the enemy to get a foothold in our life, we're inviting him in and giving him access. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't leave it. Don't pretend it doesn't exist and hope it's going to go away. Acknowledge it. Work through it process it. And you know, these kind of things, if we're looking and, and working to, to get our anger resolved as quickly as possible, sometimes that's going to take some actions that are challenging for many of us. Maybe that looks like a bit of humility. Maybe it looks like owning up to our mistakes. Maybe it looks like honest conversations where we say to someone, do you know what, what you said to me and what you did, that really hurt me. And that can come across to an honest, open, calm conversation instead of just splurging out the vile filth that can come from anger. And so we've got to be humble. We've got to allow these hard conversations to happen. We've got to own up to our mistakes when we've made them. Let's keep reading through this this verse in Ephesians. It says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, I know none of you are like this, that when anger creeps into your life, those four-letter words do not appear on your lips. But that is what this verse is talking about. It's saying don't let that kind of language cross your lips when you are feeling angry. But it's not just talking about swearing. This is talking about don't let belittling happen. Let there be no bad mouthing, no criticism, no gossip, no name calling. Only speak what is good, helpful, encouraging. Let's speak words that build up and not tear down. Let's speak blessings. Gosh, it's hard, isn't it, to speak blessings and love and grace and forgiveness over people that have hurt us? Jesus said, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. Wow. That's tough, yeah? That's tough. Because when the anger begins to rage and it begins to burn up within us, what we want to do is yell and curse and scream and shout. But Jesus, in his continual upside down way, he says, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Speak love and blessings and honour to those people who you are feeling anger towards. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All these feelings, all these emotions, all these opportunities for the enemy to creep in, to get a foothold in our lives. He says, put it away from you. Get rid of all of it. If you don't if you sit with these emotions with the the hatred and the anger and the bitterness it's like you it's like you're helping the enemy so you've already invited him in and said oh yeah come on in make a home for yourself But then if you keep on holding on to your anger, it's like you're saying, well, let me hang up some pictures in your room. Let's make it look pretty. Here's a forest of flowers for your table. Are you comfortable? Can I get you a drink or anything? We're basically accommodating the enemy in our lives when we hold on to these emotions. We need to process them and work through them. And the Bible says, get rid of it all. Get rid of it. And instead, it's not just to get rid of it, that's it. It then follows this up with instead. And this is where the work of freedom in Christ comes in. For those of you who've been working through that, this is where the teaching that Ruth has brought many times around mental health and neuroscience and carving out those new pathways in our mind. Get rid of it all and instead be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. Do you know, I love what Joe shared last week. She said that sin doesn't have a chance with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Aggressive forgiveness. You know, when someone hurts us or does something that, that causes that anger to rise up within us, when we feel our nostrils begin to flare, can we have this, can we replace the anger With aggressive forgiveness. Now aggressive forgiveness does not mean grabbing hold of them and saying, I forgive you. (laughs) It means just not holding on to anything but just saying, I forgive you. Just letting love and grace pour out of every fiber of our being. Not saying that we forgive this person, but really just making a mental note that we can then pull out in the future and remind them of that thing that they did 27 years ago. That is not aggressive forgiveness. Forgiveness brings peace in your life. Forgiveness brings joy in your life. Forgiveness allows us to love others, it says, as Jesus loves you. We've talked about his, just his incredible grace in our lives. That we mess up time and time and time again. And yet he forgives us time and time and time again. And that's how we should be forgiving others. When they hurt us. When they cause us to feel this anger and this pain in our lives. Anger and peace can't dwell together. You cannot be angry and joyful at the same time. If you are holding on to anger, you can't also be loving. These are opposite actions. We need to get rid of the anger so that we can feel the joy and the peace and the love. And so we need to, we need to choose. When anger shows up in our lives, we need to choose, what is it that I am going to do with this emotion? What am I going to do when anger shows up, whether it's because of something tiny or whether it's because of something huge? What am I going to do? What choice am I going to make in how I work out this anger in my life? And so with the time we got left, we're just going to look at some practical advice on this theme that James gives us. So I'm reading from James chapter one and he says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We need to be slow, we need to be quick to listen, we need to be slow to speak and we need to be slow to get angry so let's just look at this idea of being quick to listen what does that mean what does it mean to be quick to listen in a situation well who knows that when emotions begin to begin to speak in our lives that they are not quiet emotions shout when anger begins to rage within us it is not a whisper in our ear It is a loud voice yelling for attention. I am angry. We are going to get angry right now. That is what anger looks like in our minds. And so the question is that in the midst of that, when my mind is screaming and shouting for justice on that person who has just wronged me, how are we going to hear and tune our ears to the voice of God that we know from Scripture is a still, small voice. How are we going to hear the voice of God in the midst of the screaming, shouting emotions going on within us? We need to be quick to listen. Do you know in a couple of weeks, a week tomorrow, I'm going to be going away for two nights I try and do this every year just to spend some time alone thinking about vision for the following year. Thinking about what God wants to do with us in this church and in our community. And so I'm super looking forward to what that's going to look like. Because it's going to be me, no distractions, in this beautiful uh, converted church in the countryside. You know, last year when I did it, I didn't see one person for two whole days. It was amazing. And when I think about hearing the voice of God, that's what it looks like. When I'm free from distractions, when I'm surrounded by the beauty of God, when I'm all alone, when it's still, when it's quiet, I can hear from God. But life isn't always like that, is it? In fact, it's very rarely like that. We, we rarely, very rarely get the opportunity to just sit on our own in a quiet place and contemplate and hear from God. More often than not, the stresses of life are raging within us and we're thinking about the many things that we've got to get done in our lives. And so when emotions hit, whether that's anger or anything else, and it begins to shout and it begins to rage within, us we've got to remember this guidance this principle this lifeline if you will that we need to be quick to listen not to the emotions but to the voice of God we've got to quickly recognize what's going on within us and say I'm not just going to answer and listen to immediately this anger raging within me I'm just going to hit the pause button And I'm going to instead listen for that still, small voice. What is God saying in this situation? How does he see this person that has wronged me? What is he saying about the situation that I am facing? We've got to be quick to listen and then he says, we've got to be slow to speak. Now, I was doing some research this week and I stumbled across this thing that I found fascinating. President Abraham Lincoln, back in the day, when he felt angry at someone on his cabinet or whatever they call it in America, when he needed to tell someone off for the way that they acted, what he would do was he would sit down at his desk and he would write them a letter filled with all of his frustrations and all of his anger and everything that he wanted to say to them in that moment. And then he would put it to one side. And he would leave it. And he would wait until his emotions had calmed down and he had cooled off a little bit. And then he would come back to the letter. And he would read through it. And see if actually that is what he wants to say to this person or whether that's just what his emotions wanted to say. And they called these letters unsigned, unsent. I wonder if, if you've sent a text message to someone in the heat of the moment. Do you know... Our phones need to create a filter, don't they? That when, we, when, they, when they can tell that we're hammering a bit harder on our phones than we normally do, and we hit the send button, a pop-up should appear that says, are you sure? And then it locks itself for like 10 minutes and just lets us sit on it for a moment. Did I really want to say that? Did I really want to send that message or that email? If only. Do we need to just Pause. Do we need to just think for a minute? Do we need to be slow to speak? Because when we apply this principle of being slow to speak, it allows us to discern if the words and the actions that we want to do in the moment are actually what we should be doing. Are those words honoring? Are those words life-giving? Are those words reflected of the character of God that is within me? We need to be slow to speak. You know, there's a huge difference between peace of mind, IE, and peace of mind, EA. Are we giving someone a piece of our mind? Or are we waiting until our mind is at peace before we respond to what's happened to us? We need to be slow to speak to those who have hurt us, who have caused us to feel angry. And we also need to be slow to speak to ourselves. You know, you are the most influential person in your own life. No one speaks to you more than you speak to you. And I think if we were to just take stock for a moment and get real honest with ourselves about the way in which we speak to ourselves sometimes, we might find that we would never speak to anyone else that way? Are the words that you're speaking to yourself bringing death or bringing life? Are the words that you're allowing yourself to speak into you, pulling you down or bringing you up? Are the words that you speak to yourself words of criticism or words of energy? Are we speaking doubt and fear and discouragement over our lives or are we speaking faith and hope and courage you know we need to really check the way in which we speak to ourselves be slow to speak to others yes but also be slow to speak to yourself we should be asking ourselves what does God say about me what does God have to say about me And you just need to read his word and you will find that he says, you are loved. You have worth. You are valued. You are my son or my daughter. You are a co-heir with Christ. You can do all things through me. I have good plans for you. What does God want to say over your life? Not what do your emotions want to say over your life. What does God want to say over your life? And the reality is that if we take the time to work through these principles that James gives us, if we are quick to listen, if we are slow to speak, then it will naturally follow that we are slow to anger. So let me just give this as a closing thought. James continues, You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and get rid of all the evil in your lives. We've heard that already from the passage in Ephesians 4. And humbly, it says, Humbly accept the word of God planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. Don't just listen to the word. You must do what it says. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. God's word, when it's planted in our hearts, has the power to save. This is it. Anger Management 101 Read his word. Get in his word. Let it be planted within you. If you struggle with anger, if that's something that this morning as I've been speaking, you're saying, yeah, do you know what? That's me. Get in his word. If you struggle with lust, get in his word. If you struggle with hatred, get in his word. If you struggle with self-doubt, get in his word. Whatever it may be that you are battling or you are struggling with, get in his word. You know, there is a verse in here that will unlock within you the freedom to break free. There is a verse in this book that if you are struggling with anything, it will set you free. There is a verse in this book that will bring you life and will bring you peace and will bring you joy. And I can hear you saying, what verse is it, John? (laughs) I don't know. Go and find it for yourself. Go and find it for yourself. What is the word for you in this book? What is the scripture that you need for this moment in your life? What encouragement, what promise of God do you need to speak into your circumstance, your situation, your raging emotion? What is it we need to get in his word? We need to study it. We need to allow it to be planted within our souls. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is freedom in this book. There is life in this book. There is peace in this book. There is joy in this book. But it won't get itself into you. We've got to consume it. We've got to devour it. We've got to pursue and be passionate about God's word. Why don't we pray? Father God, I thank you for the gift that you have given us that is your word. God, I thank you that it is filled with promises and it is filled with truths that through those words you can bring us freedom, you can bring us peace, you can bring us release from the things that rage within us. And God, I pray for those in the room this morning who recognize that anger is something they need to work through. That God, you would reveal to them a verse, a word, a promise, some truth that would set them free. That God, we would be people who are quick to hear to hear what it is that you are speaking into our lives. No one else, you. That we would be slow to speak. That we wouldn't allow emotions to to flow and splurge out of our minds and into our words. But we would just have the, the strength to hit pause And just take a moment to calm ourselves down. And that we would be slow to anger. God, give us all long noses. And ultimately, as we've been working through this this series and we continue to work through it, God, I pray that we would become Daily, more and more like you. That God, our heart's passion and desire would be to to be transformed from the inside out more and more into the character of God who is gracious, who is compassionate, who is slow to anger, who is so, so loving and who is faithful through it all so God would you work in our lives in Jesus name